morning to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you'd stand with me for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. It's not something the Lord requires, it's just something we do, oftentimes just as a respect for His Word. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. If you're there, say amen. Paul is speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy, and this is what he says. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenius and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and I handed them over to Satan so that they might learn not to blaspheme God. Hymenius and Alexander are two examples of shipwrecked faith. And I've turned them over to Satan that they might learn how not to blaspheme, which means to vilify and defame God by their words or their irreligious, godless actions. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Before I share with you this morning, I want to speak to something that I have learned by experience. It's not a doctrine. It's not an absolute uh, that must happen every time. But when the Lord gives me a word for a Sunday like I have today, it's often very strained in worship. There is spiritual interference, if you will. I don't think that principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places have all knowledge but they do have knowledge of what is going on and what is at stake. Just like when Herod knew that Jesus was going to be born, there's a knowledge of things that hang in the balance. And this is one of those Sundays. I've never preached on this text. I've referred to it, but I've never preached on the subject of shipwrecked faith. Some preachers would turn it into something to promote just fear that, you know, you're saved, lost, saved, lost, saved, lost. And depending on when you die at that moment, if you happen to be doing the right thing, you go to heaven. And those of us with a basic understanding of God's word know that grace is not forfeited uh, by an action. But for there to be the statement to Paul, from Paul to Timothy, he said, hey, listen, you need to cling to your faith. And you need to live with a clear conscience because some, their faith is shipwrecked. John, I got a, a good ring here. I'm not certain where it's coming from. There, there's some that their faith is shipwrecked. Not their soul, their faith. Their exclusive, personal reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ for their spiritual life and they're following after him 
And it alludes to a life that when shipwrecked, when the faith shipwrecks, just like where Jesus told Simon, he said, Simon, Satan came to me and asked me for you. He asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. Your firm, relying, exclusive trust on me is not just your salvation, the source of your salvation, but the source of your life, that you would feed upon me as your bread and drink of me as your water, that you would partake of my body and blood, that you would be close to me. And I've prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. You may stumble, but I'm praying that 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 clarity of, of conscience and mind and heart and an exclusive trust in me wouldn't fail. And Simon failed, but his faith didn't because Christ had prayed for him. But Paul speaks of these two and said, in so many words, no such luck. Their faith. See, when your faith shipwrecks, you don't lose what's behind you. You lose everything ahead of you. If I were to be in a a boat and it capsized and I were to go to some uh, desert island or some unoccupied island, I still would have had my history as a childhood I still would have had my college days. I still would have had my memories. But all of my future changes when you're shipwrecked. The idea of a believer, their faith being shipwrecked is alien. We deny it. We stick our head in the sand and act like it can't happen. But listen, listen to your pastor. It can happen. It can happen to you. It can happen to anyone. And it happens every day. I'm shocked at the amount of my friends and my fellow pastors, ministers, that started in the journey with me and how many of them do not serve the Lord today. And the immediate question, well, are they saved? Hey, to the Lord they stand or fall. I don't know. But there is no active assurance. There's no passionate connectivity. There's no grateful overflow. There's no dependence upon. And I hope I'm being clear with this setting the tone for the few moments I'm going to talk to you. All they know about the Lord is behind them. There's no expectation of God, the things of God, the worship of God. There's a pastor uh, in this middle Georgia area who I'll of course leave nameless I only knew him second person. I'd met him one time, I believe, uh, but did a great work in this area. And today he is, uh, over the years, he's strayed from the Lord, is now a pursuer of money and fame. And a friend of mine showed me pictures of him and the lifestyle that he's in now. And I just, I can hardly take it in that someone that knows. Okay, now the history he had is real. The faith that he had was genuine. The ministry he had was anointed, but something happened to his private walk that works out the faith that was given to him. It's gone. I remember as a a little boy and and I'm not going to be in a hurry. If I don't get to all the message, that's fine. I believe the Lord is, is going to do his work. I remember hearing my father tell a story 
And even as a little boy, it just struck me so uh, profoundly that he went to uh, someone's house that uh, was dying and they were literally throwing up parts of their insides. He was dying. And Daddy was in the bathroom floor with him, holding him. And he said, brother, let, let, just pray with me. Just pray with me. And he said, it's too late, preacher. It's just too late. And I'm not saying that to say to those here, whether you're saved or lost, but I know this. When you get to the end of your life, there will be people in this room by odds that can point to a time where their vessel broke apart somewhere and every part of their life in Christ was a distant memory and there's no connectivity for them as they go into eternity. I want to read a letter to you and I'm going to pray and share briefly with you this morning on the subject of the shipwreck of one's faith. This is from a pastor to another pastor. I'll leave their names off. Pastor, I just read your message on shipwreck. My heart ached as I read it because I am one of those whose faith has wrecked. I'll share a little with you and please feel free to share it with others as you see fit. I just ask that you don't use my name. I was saved at an early age. I used to preach on the front porch when I was five. My grandmother always called me her preacher boy. I surrendered to the ministry my senior year in high school in 1976. God allowed me to preach in many churches afterwards, perhaps because of my young age. I was on the radio a year later and preached my own program for a year before going into seminary. I attended a very conservative seminary. And following school, I was a full-time pastor in three different churches for 24 straight years until 2005. I loved studying. I loved preaching. I loved people. God blessed me with what I believe was a successful ministry. And all of that is gone now. In 2005, I had an affair. I resigned from the church where I was pastoring at that time. My wife of 20 years and I divorced. And I did something I said I would never do. I did the things which I warned others of. I sinned not only against the word of God, but against my own words. And two weeks after my resignation, my oldest son, who was 24 at the time, died unexpectedly. I cannot help but wonder if my boy died because of my sins. To make matters worse, I ended up marrying the woman I had the affair with. She was 12 years younger and had twin boys. It was a disaster, of course. We divorced two years later. The suffering that I've experienced since my spiritual shipwreck is indescribable. I literally have to fight to live. To a large extent, I've lost a lot of the purpose of my life. Preaching and pastoring were my calling and my joy. I knew nothing else. I entered a state of great depression where I could not sleep or eat. I've lost my physical health, which I believe is due to the emotional strain and stress that I'm under. In 2005, I was a model of health. I've always been athletic and active and took care of myself. But today in 2008, I have diabetes, neuropathy, and severe arthritis. Brother, I've not only preached hundreds of times about sin and its consequences, but I have lived it. Pastors and preachers are just as much, if not more susceptible than others. 
I'm unable to preach now or share my story, but please let others know that the word of God is true and that you do reap what you sow. How I wish I'd never taken my eyes off the compass. I would so love to be able to go to church and not feel so much guilt and remorse. I would love to preach. I would love to pastor. Listen, but that part of my life is over. I believe more in the word of God and the truth of it today than I ever have before. And I know I'm probably rambling, but one other thing. Please encourage the churches and Christians to help the shipwrecked. Please tell us pastors and preachers to be compassionate upon those who have fallen. God bless you and take care. Father, just soberly this morning, and humbly I stand before you, and I have no uh, faith in my ability to speak or to communicate, but I believe today that it's more than a sermon. I believe today it's more than exhortation. I believe it's more than rebuke. I believe you have me standing on this platform, waving my coat above my hand, saying, the bridge is out. Don't go further. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would allow them to see that this is not the idea of words of a man because they don't owe me an audience. But if you are speaking to them, O oh Lord, it's the same as you stepping in to Peter's situation and saying, I'm praying for you that your faith would not fail. Let there be a rescue this morning, Lord, of the greatest kind. Let today produce the results that there will be those that will see in heaven what was avoided because they changed course. For the glory of your son, I pray these things and I rely upon his anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. How does one's faith shipwreck? It happens to those who travel on a faulty vessel. If you look at the boat and your faith is the same thing. Inferior parts, wrong parts, incompatible parts, a shortcut in assembly. Your faith is to be solely dependent upon the person of Jesus Christ, period. Nothing more, nothing less. A personal devotion, a personal affection, a personal worship, a personal following. You might find expression in the church, but your connectivity is to Christ. He's the way, not the church. He's the truth, not the church. He's the life, not the church. He is who you feed upon. First person and any other vessel that's connected to any other system, any other source, any other conglomerate, make sure that your parts are not aftermarket. They, are, they originate with God, they flow from God, they are of God, and they return to God. How can it happen? It happens to those who do not take care of their vessel. Guard your heart, the Bible says, for out of it are the issues of life. You guard your heart. You guard your soul. You make sure that you and Jesus are connected. And it's a joyful connection. It's a natural, reflexive connection. Guard your heart because it's the only one you have. Guard your heart because no one can guard it for you. Guard your heart because many people's hearts break. They're filled with stones. They're filled with thorns. Many people's hearts are not fertile. Guard your heart because the results of 
how you live are irreversible. You can shipwreck your faith due to a lack of visibility. Luke eleven thirty four 34 in the Amplified says this, your eye is the lamp of your body and when your eye, your conscience is sound and fulfilling its office, your whole body is full of light. But when it is not sound and it's not fulfilling its office, your body is full of darkness. Be there careful that the light that in, is in you is not darkness. And if your entire body is illuminated, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright, bright with light, as when a lamp with its bright rays give you life and light. Ships wreck when they can't see where they're going. And we do not go by habit. See, you know you're in danger when you're living your Christianity out of your remembrance. I am to remember, but I don't live from the memory. I live because my eyes are upon Him. I live forward. There's a reason the rearview mirror is this big and the windshield is this big. I don't forget where I'm going, but that's not how I live. And when you're remembering how close you were to the Lord instead of being close, see, the vision is blurry. And if you can't see, then accidents happen so often. Y'all heard me tell so many stories about my grandmother and grandfather, and they're all true, just crazy. My, my papa drove years after he was legally blind. Years. Couldn't see nothing. Couldn't hear thunder. Couldn't see anything. I was in the car with him. I was probably 11, 12 years old. He's just, dri- I mean, quirling down Vineville Avenue. My grandmother called it Inter- uh, Vineville International Speedway. My grandmother, we'd get in the car. She goes, you see what this is? What's this? I said, it's a Buick. It's a casket on wheels. That's what this is. She was... I lie not. She was that and more. So I'm driving down the road with Papa. And he's, you know, do any of you truly remember this? Do you remember when there were push-button gears in car? He had a Buick, and he would change the gears with the button. Like you go to drive. It was crazy. Now you don't even have to have a key. You just start, and it starts. But back then, it was push-button. It was cutting edge. So we're going down Vineville. He's flying. He goes, Johnny, yeah, what you see out there? I said, what? Well, what you see out there? In the road? Yeah, is them lights? Might as well just be driving with a white stick out the window with a red tip bouncing off the thing. He sees nothing. I'm like, I'm going to heaven. I better be, I'm praying. You know, I'm getting everything fixed up. With, with no vision, okay? And then we, then we curse God at the accident. We curse God at the wreck. And some of you, your vision's been going, possibly some of you, your vision's been going bad for so long, you just drive blind now. And the Bible tells you that when our conscience, see, when we grieve our conscience, two things happen. You're less convicted the next time. So your conscience becomes seared like a hot iron. It's like burning the nerves off. And then in your blindness, you'll say, well, I ain't even convicted about that but you were. That's why Paul said, Timothy, listen, before I go, keep your heart clear. Keep your conscience clear. Cling to your faith. Make sure that it doesn't become affected. Make sure that you take the eye test. Anybody else beside me didn't know you were blind until you went to the optometrist? They put your chin on the little cup. Now they just do retina scans. But y'all remember the machine? And they ching, 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 ching. And they said, re... <laughs> Before you get in the machine, this is the best part. Stand right here. You got your line. 
Read, read that top line. ZPQ24F. And he looks at you. Read it again. Why? You can get none of them right. What? And then you put the machine on, and it's blurry, 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 blurry. You go, oh, QFT7ZPRL, made in China. You got, you got the bottom line. You got all of it right, okay, because the vision was there. Sometimes the Lord will allow simple messages to come across your path to show you that your eyes dark. And the proof of your eye being dark is how you're living. Because you'd never drive in the median if you could see. You'd never put your family at risk if you could see. And the arrogance of our pride is that we'll curse the person that tells us that they see something that we don't. I want to tell you, if you've got two friends in your life that will tell you the truth about your soul, you are blessed. I had to tell Papa, I said, Papa, you're blind. Don't tell your grandmother. That's all he, that's all he said. It can happen through unexpected or violent storms, the loss of children, the loss of a family. Shipwreck happens to those who don't pay attention to the compass. Well, I just, I just feel like this is okay. Do you, do you realize the arrogance and the ignorance for God to give us his word and said, this, this is the best plan for you. I'm just, I just feel like this direct, all roads lead to God. Have you ever heard anything more stupid? You're not supposed to say stupid. Have you ever heard anything more stupid than that? All roads lead to God. God just, God's with me. God's my co-pilot. I just pick away. All roads, that's like saying all roads lead to Florida. I'm going to go 75 north and I'm getting to Florida. No, you're not. Yes, I am, because I believe. You ain't going to Florida. You're going to reach Atlanta, and you're going to turn around because you'll hate it. You don't go that far and getting all that stuff. But when you're blind and you don't see and you drive on, accidents happen. And then we blame everyone else for the things that happen in our lives. You can be shipwrecked because of an attack. You can be shipwrecked when you allow unqualified people at the helm of your faith. I'm going to tell you again as your pastor, you do not put your trust in your pastor. You do not put your trust in a bishop, a pope, a cardinal, a priest. You open the Bible in your life and ask God to show you, is there any wicked way in my heart? Open my eyes because the person at the helm you're trusting is not qualified. If you barely know your heart, you know they don't. Don't let people tell you what your convictions are. Don't let them tell you what your giftings are, your responsibilities, how you should live. David said, search me, O Lord, and look in my heart and see if there is any way of iniquity. Purge me, O Lord, with hyssop. Make me whole. And we've got preachers, we don't even know them leading our lives off the television or some friend that's, you know, half tarot card, half Buddhist, half Islam, half Christianity, and says, oh, it's all the same. No, it's not. Guard your own heart. You, you drive your vehicle, your life, through the wisdom of God's Word and through the knowledge of Scripture and through the light that's in your eyes. It happens 
when we willfully or unwillingly sabotage our own vessel. This is the number one for me as a pastor, how people shipwreck their faith. Willful sin, repetitive sin, brazen sin, private sin, public sin, sin that sears their conscience, and don't you call them out on it. The Bible says that calling out a fool in his folly is the t- same, has the same results as taking a cub from a mama bear. You tell a Christian, that's, you're not living right. That, that's not, I mean in love, considering yourself. I don't mean jumping up and judging them. Says, you know that's not right. Who are you to judge me? I'm just someone that sees what obviously you don't see. And it's, you, 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 it's almost impossible to help them because their own conscience is seared and they no longer feel conviction. And since they do not feel conviction, they feel it's okay. And listen to your pastor. Don't ever tell the Lord to leave you alone. The scariest thing that can happen to you is for God to turn you over to yourself. Maybe I'm not the only one. I've had things in my life post-salvation where he would convict me over it and convict me over it. And you just get so frustrated. You know, other people are doing it joyfully, willingly, and it feels like you have the narrower path at times, you know. And you'd be just right there at saying, just, just stop. But I know better. What if he stopped? You know why people die of leprosy? It's not from the grossness of the flesh or the rotting. You see the their thumb fall off, their finger fall off. What it is is they don't feel anymore. And so they would cut themselves and wouldn't know it and the cuts would be infected and there's rot. And since they don't have feeling, they become infected, gangrene, and the poison gets in their blood and it kills them. Spiritual leprosy is rampant. And I just feel in my heart the Lord wants to tell someone or someones, several people here, that the miserable feeling that you have is because God loves you so greatly, he's not turned you over yet. And that voice that aggravates you is a voice that screams, I have not forgotten you. I could have turned you over a long time ago. And Paul said, I'm not God turned them over, but he said, I'm turning them over for the destruction of their flesh that they might not blaspheme. And what happens is some of you are cursing God for circumstances, but the circumstances he sent you to destroy your comfortable life bent on destruction is the very love of God for you to keep you out of eternal separation or eternal judgment. Number two, what does it look like? Shipwrecked faith inevitably finds itself far off course course, and far away from home. When you look up and you're in an unfamiliar place, an unplanned place, an undesirable place, an unimaginable place, in an uninhabitable place, no one wakes up and says, today I'm going to be an alcoholic. No one wakes up today and says, today I'm going to be abusive. I'm going to be an addict. I'm going to give myself away sexually and practice immorality 
or debauchery or perversion. No one just gets up and, and, and decides to do those things. But like the prodigal who told his father, he said, give me everything that falleth to me. What arrogance, nothing fell to him. But the father gave him his substance and he went off and the Bible said he wasted his substance in riotous living. And it was only at the time when he came to himself, he said, here I am dying of hunger in my father's house. Even the servants have bread enough to spare. But here's the key phrase. It said, and he went into a far country. You don't ever leave God and stay close. He went into a far country. I never realized that the first drunken night of my life would steal the next seven years. And had God not rescued me, the faith that was in me as a boy, I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was a little boy. I always tell you, July 6, 86, because that's the day I surrendered my life as a competent adult. But his spirit was inside of me. Had I not allowed him to break me, I would be the guy looking over my shoulder, would have, should have, could have. And I would have spent my life in a far country. Is there anything worse than having the knowledge of a home that you don't have access to. The knowledge of a relationship that you used to have. I talk to people all the time. All the time. And they just wipe the tears and they say, I used to walk with the Lord, John. John, I knew his voice. He'd speak to me. I'd get up and I'd walk the floor at night and talk to him. He'd give me dreams and visions. and He doesn't talk to me anymore. And I said, well, what do you do? I just wait for the day I go home and I hope that the grace is there for me. I said, so do do you not feel his spirit? Mm -mm. Now, the issue is not for us to stand and say, are you saved and lost? But that's what shipwreck looks like. You get at a place far away from home. So the joys of home are far away. The provision of home is far away. The protection of home, the familiarity of home, the feeling, good, the feeling apart is home. And Paul said in those two, their faith is gone. It's shipwrecked. Which gone, I don't mean as if it never were. It says it has no value to them anymore. Shipwrecked faith will find itself isolated. No fellowship with other people on the sea. Once you shipwreck, you can't, Katrina, we can't find encouragement one another. There's no, hey, let's pray together. Come on, come on. It's like you live by yourself. You're on an island by yourself with your memories. Shipwrecked faith will find itself stranded, hopeless, helpless, and powerless. You can't get off the island. Shipwrecked faith finds itself broken. And here's a perfect analogy, and I... I trust that you'll open your heart to it, whoever this is for. A boat was designed to navigate the water and a shipwrecked boat can no longer do what it was designed to do. And when your faith is shipwrecked, you are no longer have the capacity to love God and enjoy Him 
There's no longer the capacity to exercise the gifts of the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. If saved, it is as by fire with total loss and total devastation, powerless to move unless a rescuer comes. Powerless to fix the boat unless a rescuer comes. And I felt in my heart that the Lord was going to rescue people today. Shipwrecked faith can live in absolute denial. You know, it's not hell and I'm not hot. You know, it, this, uh, this is not an island and I'm not here. And you know, we'll even go as far. Did you know we are this off? We'll go so far to find other shipwrecked people to stand with us by our broken boat and say we're not shipwrecked. Because <laughs> we say it, it's true, you know. And all of them look as bad as we look and we find our assurance in the company of fools. Shipwrecked people can become angry and resentful. Listen, I see it all the time. Angry at where they are, not why they're there. What kind of God would take my child? What, what did I do to deserve this? Maybe nothing. What did you do to have a ch- What did you do to deserve a child? See, it's the perspective. What, what would I do if I lost my little girls or my little boy? I don't know. I know I'd limp the rest of my life. But my first thought would not be, why did you take them? It's, what did I ever do for you to give me such joy and love and goodness? Shipwrecked people are angry. They're bitter at what's happened, not their role in why it happened. Shipwrecked faith can be filled with excuses, rationalization, and the casting of blame. It brings with it great loss, great sorrow, great pain, and great remorse. A faith that has been shipwrecked is on life support or at best survival mode. I've talked to some, they say, I still believe, but there's no benefit from it. There's no, the faith is there, but it's on an island by itself and it's not working anymore. A shipwrecked faith leads to distorted perspective and eventually deep depression. And the sad reality is that many people whose faith is shipwrecked never make it back. There's that man sitting in the recliner looking over the heads of the people in his room wondering about what his life would have been like had he just forgave. What would life have been like had he just been faithful? What, what would life be like today if he'd have made God the priority? What would it be like if he had chose to be his child's parent instead of its friend? And now all three of his kids are hooked on drugs and alcohol because he was cool and he hung out with his kids. And that regret and that remorse is a thick blanket. I'll tell you something. Regret is a cruel taskmaster cruel. It never goes on vacation. It never relents. It never lets up. Listen to this statement, please. Carnal Christians pay with their tears. Shipwrecked Christians pay with their years.
three. And I know this is a very heavy message and I'm not apologizing for it. I just, I want you to know my heart. I'm not sitting in judgment of you, but I fear for your soul. I fear for our souls. Number three, how can shipwreck of my faith be avoided? Stop treating your life as if it's only a game. Stop being so rebellious. I know what the Bible says, but stop. Bow your knee, bow your heart to the Lord Jesus. Be willing and obedient and you'll eat the best of the land, the Bible says. You can't go your way and end at God's destination. Stop justifying your sins and stop excusing your lifestyle. If I hear this one more time, I mean, the hour is short, the day is at hand. Christ is coming for his church and we're gonna be at the Bema seat of Christ. But the Christians, their, their mantra is what's wrong with it instead of what's right with it. Be sober. Wake yourselves. The day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord's coming is near. And we don't want to be ashamed at His coming. Stop living for today. Start investing for tomorrow. Not only in the natural realm, but of course the spiritual realm. It's your life. Live it. Go for all the gusto. No, this life is on loan. And I'm going to give an account for it, a stewardship for it. Stop blindly following the crowd and ignorantly leading yourself. I got a friend of mine here today that I knew for a year or two at college. um, And the Lord has done a work in his life. And a couple of us made it out and God rescued us and and gave us his spirit, but I had, I had friends that if I had continued to follow them or me, my life would have been destroyed. Do you understand that the 17 year old that's in his pictures partying becomes the 40 year old with liver disease? Do you understand? I buried two of my fraternity brothers this last year uh, they were in the fraternity that I was in. I debrothered when I became born again. It was just my personal choice. But that cool picture, you know, and now their children are orphans. And all their life was stolen from them because they followed the crowd instead of following the Christ. The crowd does not lead to the Christ. And I can't follow my own pleasure, my own, because I'll choose carnally. I need a compass. I need someone that has the ability, the foreknowledge, the creative power to create a system that if I follow it, I'll be safe. To stay on the chart, to stay on the map, to stay in the compass. Thank you very much, darling. I appreciate it. Stop being so naive. How how can I avoid shipwreck? Stop being so naive to think that you're exempt, that you're invincible, that you're the exception and that you have plenty of time. Seeing my my friend 
reminded me of my buddy named Mike. We got the call. I was at the lodge one day, and I, someone had said, did you hear about Mike? And I said, no, what happened? He died last night. I said, how? He died of smoke inhalation in an apartment fire. I went, what, what happened? Well, he went to sleep smoking cigarette. Nothing really bad. Either. But he was too drunk to find his way out. And he was in a corner of a room and died. When you're young, you think you're invincible. We think we're exempt. And our life is but a vapor. It appeareth for a little while and it vanisheth away. I turned 54 yesterday. My daddy lived to be 42. I'm 54. Somebody told me this. John, you ain't old. 50's the new 40. No, it ain't. No, it's straight up 54. What don't hurt don't work, you know? Your life is a vapor. It appeareth for a little while and vanisheth away. And you're not exempt. You're not the exception. Whoever sows to the flesh will reap destruction, and whosoever soweth to the Spirit shall reap life. God said, I I lay before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Just You don't have to go your own way. Well, I don't like how the preacher presented it. Well, tell it to yourself a different way. But you too can have your faith shipwrecked and live a life of absolute regret and remorse. Stop acting like a child. What do you mean, pastor? See, I've been an equal opportunity offender this morning. I've made everybody mad. And all of it's not applicable to everyone, but listen to this verse. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude and be ready to suffer. For if you're ready to suffer for Christ, you're finished with your sin. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality, their lust, their feasting, their drunkenness, wild parties, their terrible worship of idols... Of course, your former friends are going to be surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do so they may slander you. But remember, they will have to answer to God just like you. We just got to grow up. Is there anything sadder than the 45-year-old taking the same pictures of his little party that he took when he was 17? Yeah, there's something sadder. There's the Christian I told you about that remembered the Spirit of God so real in his chest that he could hear the name Jesus on the radio and tears would fall. And now he hears it and he remembers and feels nothing because his faith is shipwrecked. Ben, if you would come please this morning. How can it be avoided? Stop before it happens to you. Have any of you seen the show Intervention? There's two shows that I really can't watch because they stir up different levels of passion in me. I can't watch Hoarders. (laughs) Can't. Mm. And y'all forgive me. Me and my wife tried to watch it once and she has the gift of mercy and it didn't go well. Uh, 
but when the lady's on there and you know she's on hoarders and her kids are being taken away from her and she's I love my kids more than anything I'm like no you don't you love your junk more than anything because if it is a true problem then you go find someone and say look I can't control this but I love my children more than this help me fix this so hoarders and I just ain't got no sympathy for none of them and they're 62 dead skeletons and I ain't got, I ain't got patience for them. but intervention you have to understand I'm not a, a, a good person. But intervention does something to me when I watch it. And they bring the person in. And they get angry. Here's the mother that gave birth to him. Here's the sister that's lost 40 pounds worrying about him. Here's the dad that has had two heart attacks from the stress of thinking his baby girl is going to die any day. Here's granddaddy and grandma, blind and deaf, but they're there. And the girl is mad. Or the boy is mad when they walk in. What's this? We're here because we, we love you and we won't. Y'all are, and they curse them, slam the door. You're this, and you're this, and you're this. And so every now and then they talk them into coming in, you know, and they say, will, will you accept help today? And then the anger will be for it, but then they'll listen just a little bit. The successful ones, and the anger, and then they'll listen, just, they'll listen a little bit. And then there'll be that one, there'll be that one person that says, sissy, and the girl just breaks. The girl just breaks. You're dying. And I don't want to picture my life without you. Will you get help today? And when they walk out of the room cursing, there's a part of me that goes, are you that dead on the inside? I think the reason that it makes me mad is that I was them. And this morning... I may not have the emotional connection with you or the history. But I'm telling you by experience, I love it when the person that heads up the intervention is somebody that got rescued from the intervention. You remember? And they can finish your sentences and they say, no, no, you're lying. You can't kind of con. Let me tell you what you're doing. So and so and so. It's in your purse right there. I can, I can tell. And that person like, how do you know? Because I was you. There's a thing on the water called SOS. And before there were cell phones and satellite dishes, they would send out a signal. And what does it mean? Save our souls. I have found that whether I am on calm seas going away from the Lord, on rough seas away from the Lord, or on the island by myself away from the Lord, if I call on his name, like a shepherd hears a bleeding lamb, he comes and rescues me. That's where the phrase says, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord. Well, John, I thought you said the people on the desert island are helpless and hopeless and powerless. They are. But the shepherd don't wait for you to get to him. He comes to you. If you'll confess your sins, 
He's faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll forgive you. And there's nothing like being stranded one day and being back on the water the next day. So I came back to life in my 20s and I looked at that island and it didn't make me proud of myself. It made me grateful to a Lord that would send someone to stand in the road and say, John, John, stop, stop. As humbly as I know how, that's what I'm trying to do today. Lord, as Ben gets ready to sing this song, I just pray now that you can take my feeble attempt at speaking to the heart of your people and to those that may not be Christians. But Lord, you can do by your spirit what a thousand sermons could never do because it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the spirit of the Lord that brings liberty. And I pray, oh Lord, as Ben sings this, nobody looking around, God, I ask that you let them just have reverence for those, that the people that this message is for would get up and come kneel before you and say, I just surrender it all back to you again, oh Lord. Don't let me go this way. One more sign And one more day But some other time Is what you say Today's your day The sign is here The time is now The Lord is here looking around please 
I promise you in this church, our desire, nor will our actions be to bring embarrassment to you. But if you're here with someone or someone right beside you or close, you love them and you know that it, it's not right between them and God, just slip your hand over and touch their hand. That's it. And that's, I'll go with you. That's what that means. I'll go with you. We're just going to sing it one more time. Would you do that to those beside you? Ben, if you'd sing it. One more sign. One more day. But some other time is what you say. Today's your day. Your sign is here. The time is now. The Lord is here. Praise the Lord. these are praying in the altar. They do not have to get up. Church, would you stand with me? I've been ministry a long time now, 30 something years. I've had days like today where the person told me, they said, uh, pastor, I didn't go down, but I didn't make it to my car. <laughs> I stopped in the restroom and I said, What's, you know, when somebody puts a gun in your back, you go, it looks like worship, doesn't it? It looks like, they said, I didn't even make it to the car. And I said, Lord, I just give you my life. And you don't, you don't understand the power of saying, okay, here's, here's everything. And the grace that he would reach out to you. He knew who would be here today. I, I didn't. I walked into service. I never went to church through college. Once maybe some girl invited me to go and, you know, Girls are great evangelists. They can get guys to go to church. <laughs> and when I walked in that church, it was kind of like today for some. The preacher got up and said, he read his text. He said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And you're like, oh, come on, y'all told him I was coming. You know, that kind of thing. And the Lord just dealing so closely. He has his eye on you. He's sending angels. He's sending inarticulate ministers. He said, I have no pleasure in the death of anybody. And I want you to know today that I'm not, of course, the Lord. But I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And that you would find your way back into the vessel with the Lord. Because we're on our way to Zion. We're on our way to the city 
of the living God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and another one's voice they will not follow. As a matter of fact, let's stop dealing with our boat. Let's get in his boat. His boat floats. That's good. You know, I've learned that I would rather hear a rebuke from the Lord than rivers of praise from the lips of men. Christian, Christian, one word from God shatters a thousand lies. Yeah. So how secure are we? Eternally. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the confidence of our faith steadfast unto the end. Kelly, could I ask you to pray for us this morning? Would you come? Lord God, I thank you for your spirit here in this place, Lord God, that has tilled up the stony ground of our hearts, Lord God, so that we can receive your word, Lord God. Thank you that you are the God who frees us, frees us to walk with you, frees us from things that would hinder us from being close to you, Lord God. I just thank you, Lord God, for your love and your care. Please, Lord God. Never, ever, ever leave us alone. If there's something that we're doing that's not pleasing to you, Lord God, I pray that it would come through every vehicle you can send it, Lord God, so that we would stay on a path that's pleasing to you, Lord God, that our hearts would stay right before you, Lord. I just thank you, Lord God, for the work that you've done here today and for your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Thank you for setting us free. And it's in your son's name, the perfect king, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you. See you Wednesday night, 630. Prayer Saturday at 5 o'clock p.m. here.